Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. Well, in order to serve the Lord and to rightly represent the Lord, in order to be an effective and fruitful and faithful witness for the Lord, we need a supernatural birth. It's not enough that we love the Bible or love Bible study or love the songs and we sing along. We need to be born again. Why? Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. We now begin Matthew 11. Our message today is entitled, A Faithful Witness. And in this study, we take a look at the message that Jesus sent to John the Baptist while John was in prison. And we hear what Jesus had to say to his disciples and others about John. Let's listen in. The title of our message today, A Faithful Witness, Matthew 11, verses 1 through 15. If you at all, like me, desire to be the best witness possible to your friends, your family, your co-workers, your schoolmates, your roommates, your neighborhood. Well, we're going to learn a lot together today as we look at John the Baptist and, and we see some very clear parallels between his life, his calling in our lives and our calling. Now, there are some things that are obviously going to be different and we'll touch on those as well. But first of all, you need to know that John the Baptist was born miraculously. In fact, the Bible tells us that his mother was barren and his father and mother were well advanced in years. That's sort of a, a euphemism for they were old and uh, there was just no chance. And then John's dad is in serving in his order in the priesthood and an angel appears and gives him great news. He's going to have a son. You're going to call him John. He's going to be mighty in the sight of the Lord. And, and so he comes home and he's got a little twinkle in his eye. She thinks she's seen that before, but doesn't remember when. And he's like, no kidding, let me tell you. And I don't mean to be crass at all or drag something spiritual down. But, but I do want you to know, sometimes when God is doing something wonderful and supernatural, he calls us to do very natural things in order for that to come about. And certainly in their case, that was the case. You see, he comes home and nine months later, little Johnny B. And there he is, born miraculously. What's the parallel? Well, in order to serve the Lord and to rightly represent the Lord, in order to be an effective and fruitful and faithful witness for the Lord, we need a supernatural birth. It's not enough that we love the Bible or love Bible study or love the songs and we sing along. We need to be born again. Why? Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. All we can accomplish in our flesh are the works of the flesh. And God tells us those are unacceptable to him and unprofitable for others. So we, like John, most of us have been born miraculously, spiritually, supernaturally. And if not, if you haven't, hey, today should be, could be the day. John, we know, lived simply. His um, diet, a little bit strange. I've never seen anything like it outside of the Bible. Wild locust and honey. I'm not sure about it, but that's what he ate 
In fact, Kevin has a book in there, and I can't remember if it was called The Grossest Things in the Bible or something like that. And, you know, there are a lot of, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12-year-olds. They just love that kind of stuff. And the cover actually had a picture of John the Baptist with these raw locusts dripping in honey, just taking one of those guys in. And so it's kind of a graphic reminder of how gross that diet just might have been. But he lived simply in a time where many others failed to. He also lived humbly. When some of his disciples, many of his disciples, began to follow after Jesus, and the few who hung behind noticed, hey, the crowds are leaving, and and your own crew is leaving. John's response to that was, hey, he must increase, and I must decrease. Well, that's true for us as well. In order for Jesus to increase in my life and in your lives, well, we need to decrease. There needs to be less of us and more of him. So John, born miraculously, lived simply, lived humbly, and he lived fearlessly. Now we found out way back in chapter 4 that John had been imprisoned. We find out a little more in our chapter today as far as some of the doubts and trials he was going through there in the prison. But it won't be till we get to chapter 14 that we get all the information we need to understand how he even ended up in prison. And it brings us to yet one more aspect of his character and nature, that he lived fearlessly. It's important if we're going to represent the Lord, be faithful witnesses to and for the Lord, that we're fearless in our witness of him. Now, I don't know if you can even picture this, but say you work somewhere and your boss is all of a sudden involved in an adulterous affair and it comes to your attention and and the Lord's convicting your heart, you need to go talk to your boss. You need to tell him what you're doing is wrong. It's immoral and, and, and unethical and, and ungodly and God's going to judge it. And well, th- the thing is, is most of us would say, oh, I don't think that's my calling at all. I'll pray for him. Maybe, you know, you'd like to talk to him. But most of us wouldn't want to stand up to our boss even and say, you're committing adultery. You're living in sin. Listen, John the Baptist went to Herod and he said, you, you've taken your brother's wife. You're living with her in sin. You're living with her in open adultery. Repent. And John rebuked Herod, not his boss, someone who had the power not just to fire him, but to imprison him. And that's actually what happened to John. Because of his faithful witness, he finds himself imprisoned. Now that's going to shake some of us up if we think, well, if I'm faithful, everything's just going to go great. People are going to embrace me and love me and the Lord's going to bless me. And well, yeah, some people will, but not all will. And so John finds himself in a mess because of that witness Now, years ago, a couple decades ago, in fact, I was playing at Disneyland. Three years I played at Tomorrowland Terrace with some friends. And actually, everyone in the band was Christians. And we really wanted to witness from the platform. Well, it's not the easiest thing to do, but we found some songs like this song, Operator. Some of you might remember it. It's sort of a gospel thing. And and the, the administration, whenever we did a new set, and they have to always approve everything we did, our clothes, which, you know, they dress you like Tom Jones or some other geek thing and then go out there and tell you to do something that young people will like and if you don't know who Tom Jones is you're lucky but um, but anyway to make a long story short the bosses come out and and we're we're doing like operator and they think well that's kind of 
upbeat and gospely and nothing offensive. It's just, you know, operator, information, give me Jesus on the line. And, and they're all cool with that. And so we thought, well, we got away with that one. Let's try this song, Happily Married Man. Now, there's, there's a part of this particular song that says, divorce has gone big business. To fool around is really in. People dress them up and call them love affairs, but God just calls it sin. And uh, I'll tell you, you never saw such a strange thing as all these people smiling and happy. And then, and then you come to the word sin in the midst of a secular crowd, you know, and all of the people are like, oh, my gosh, did he just say sin? Are they saying, was that sin that, that, that they said? Because, I mean, this is Disneyland. Everything's perfect here. And we don't want to hear about sin. But who doesn't need to know that there's no such thing as an affair or a fling? It's adultery. It's, it's destructive. It tears up people. It tears up families. And so we took every opportunity and always trying to, of course, keep our job in the process. And we weren't John the Baptist and we were a group of people. But, but I encourage you, wherever you are, there has to be a creative way to at least share with people that need to hear the truth, that there is such a thing as truth, that there is right and wrong, that there is good and evil, and that, hey, listen, everybody benefits from doing right. You are blessed, the people around you are blessed. Well, everyone benefits, but sometimes it leads to some real trials. Now, we read here in chapter 11, it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples, he departed from there to teach and preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, you need to know early on, if you haven't been working through Matthew with us, that John the Baptist had identified Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Not only was he born miraculously, not only did he live simply and humbly and fearlessly, he understood his mission, his purpose, God's plan for his life. And it was twofold, to prepare people for the coming of Jesus Christ and to point people to the person of Jesus Christ. He prepared them for the coming by calling them to repent. And I already shared with you, he did it fearlessly. He did it indiscriminately. It didn't matter to him if it was a religious leader, if it was a civil leader, if it was just a regular old person on the street. John had one word for everybody, and that word was repent. Now, if you think that's just for strange guys that dress funny, live in the desert and eat wild locusts and honey... You need to know when Jesus came on the scene after his baptism, when he first initiated his public ministry, the first word out of his mouth was repent. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, repent. Paul, throughout his ministry of church planting and, and encouragement, repent. It's a word that means to side with God against yourself. God says you're guilty and you say, yes, you're right. God says your guilt and your sin has separated you from him and you say, Lord, you're right. God says there's only one one way to make this right and, and that's my son's sacrifice on your behalf. And you say, God, you're right. 
And when you agree with God and side with him against yourself, you're doing hey, yourself a great favor and others too. But you can agree with all of that and still not fully repent. To repent means you agree and you change. You stop the behavior that he's saying is destructive and you begin behavior that's constructive in its place. Well, John is out preparing people for the coming of Jesus. And literally, physically, he's pointing people to Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. What a radical and glorious privilege to be the one person at this point that's saying and knows who Jesus is and what he came to do. And then all of a sudden, the tables kind of turn on John. The, the rug's pulled out from under his feet and he finds himself imprisoned. Now, he hasn't done anything illegal. He hasn't done anything immoral. He hasn't done anything unethical. His crime is he told the truth to a man named Herod. Herod, by the way, would have liked early on to put John to death, but he was afraid of the people. Later, he actually... Well, he grows an affection for John and uh, finds himself in yet another situation where he'd like to preserve his life, but ends up sort of forced, his hand being forced because he's vacillating and, and not a real leader. He's put in a situation where he actually has John beheaded. Well, in any case, John hears what's going on with Jesus. He sends a couple of his disciples to Jesus with a simple question. Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now, this might be as simple as John doesn't know what's going to happen to him. He wants to make sure these disciples do connect with Jesus. Perhaps they were closest to John, most loyal to John, and he's like, man, i got to make sure these people get past me. Every pastor has those that are loyal to him, that really love and appreciate him beyond the norm. And uh, truly, our heart, our goal, any pastor who's thinking right is to connect people so closely to Jesus that, that we could be moved out of the scene completely and they would be just as well off, even, well, in some cases, maybe better than they were before. But, but the bottom line here is, is that John is connecting these disciples. Now, there's something else, though, and it's even more obvious. I bring that to your attention because I think that it's possible that that's one of the things John was trying to accomplish. It's highly likely, most likely, probable, that John was also going through a season of doubt and despair. There's something about suffering, whether it's physical or mental or emotional, that can cause us to begin to doubt and despair. And if you find yourself in such a season, know this, you're in good company. Hey, it happened to Elijah, one of the most powerful prophets of the Old Testament. It happens to John the Baptist, who was the final prophet of that age and dispensation, as we'll see Jesus telling us a little further in this passage. You see, you can be faithful, you can be fruitful, your ministry can be flourishing, you can know what you're called to do and be doing it, and all of a sudden find that everything is turned upside down and you're like, what happened? How, how could this be? And in those moments of doubt, you got to know the enemy will be right there questioning the word of God, questioning the character of God, questioning the love of God, and saying, hey, if God loves you and you're faithful to him, why are you in this prison? Why are you in this pit? Why are you in despair? Why are you doubting? 
here's here's a trippy thing. Satan can put doubts in your minds and then and then accuse you of doubting. Why? Because you don't really know where those thoughts are coming from. Have you ever been in the middle of something that you knew was spiritual and you were just loving it and all of a sudden you just had bizarre or perverse thoughts? Don't raise your hand, but but it's like <laughs> if that happens to you, know that it happens to most people at some point. And, and here's what I've learned. While I don't have to have an enemy like the devil or demons to tempt me, I have enough problems with my own flesh in the world. When I am already tempted, when I am already struggling, maybe in a moment of doubt or, or just depression, it happens to all of us. In that moment, the enemy comes and whispers in your ear, accusing you, sometimes of the very thoughts he's been giving you. Well, John just sends his disciples and says, are you the coming one or should we look for another Now, I love Jesus' response to this. He doesn't rebuke John. He doesn't say, you should know better. How can a man like you see? Accusation is never the Lord. It's Satan who is the accuser of the brethren. That's why if you see someone struggling, it's one thing to go to him and say, hey, maybe you didn't know. Let me show you something. We were at a Bible study, and I just thought I had a... If we go meekly, if we go humbly... If we go with a goal of restoration, it's possible we might win that person back, that we might bring them out of the darkness or the sin that they've been ensnared in. But it doesn't always go that way. Sometimes you do the right thing and the response is negative. And that's what happened with John. He did the right thing. Herod didn't like it. Herod imprisoned him. He calls to Jesus through his disciples. What's going on now? Jesus' response to this is really out of a couple passages in Isaiah, possibly three or four, but I want to draw your attention to just two of them. One is in Isaiah chapter 35, and if you're quick, you can go there, but just listen to this for most of you. If you don't, you know, you're not good at finding your way around the Bible, make a mental note, Isaiah 35, and you'll see how important this passage is. By the way, John's doubts were no doubt a result of the fact that though Jesus was doing a lot of things, he wasn't doing exactly what John expected him to do. And more often than not, my doubts and problems aren't because Jesus isn't doing anything. Oh, he's doing a lot. I I can look around and see it. I I can observe it. I can sense it. But he's not always doing what I think he should be doing or what I thought he would be doing. And you got to see that as background in order for this to really hit you. In Isaiah 35, beginning at verse 3, it says, Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Now you'll see why Jesus chooses these verses right after this in a moment because John is familiar with the Old Testament. I mean, he is a serious student of it and a preacher of it. So say to those who are fearful hearted, that's John, be strong and do not fear. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Psalm 35 says, listen, everything you're expecting to happen will. Everything I've promised to do, I'll do. But it doesn't always happen in the order we're expecting it, because here's why. The next portion here, beginning at verse 5, says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, 
The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame shall leap like a deer. The tongue of the dumb will sing. The waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Now, John, being familiar with this passage, expects Jesus to come, having identified him, to gather his people to himself, to overcome the uh, Roman rule, to crush it, to establish his kingdom on earth, a glorious reign of righteousness where there's everything that the Bible promises and prophesies, well, it comes to pass. So John is looking for all of that. Isaiah 61 Verse 1, many of you familiar with this passage because Jesus there in Nazareth at one point goes into a synagogue and they give him the scroll as he stands to read. And and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah in the section, verse 61, it's what we know as chapter 61, excuse me, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now at that point, Jesus rolls up the scroll there in the synagogue in Nazareth. He sits down having handed it back and he says, this day, these scriptures are fulfilled in your ears. He's saying these prophecies concerning the Messiah, I am fulfilling them right now right here. But but check this. He pauses, he stops, and, and fails to read the last part of a sentence. It's not even a separate sentence. It's a part of the same sentence. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and, Isaiah goes on to say, the day of vengeance of our God. Why didn't he read that last part? Well, because he wasn't here the first time to execute vengeance and wrath. That's a part of the second coming package. You see, you know how almost every movie that's successful has a sequel? Well, there's a sequel to this whole coming of Jesus. He's coming again. It's Jesus part two. Jesus comes again. And all of the things that he didn't do the first time that the Bible prophesies, he will do this time. Well, how does that impact John the Baptist there in prison? Go back to Matthew 11, if you did turn, and most of you are still here. So note what he says. Go back and tell John the things you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He takes... John back to Psalm 35. John would have been well familiar. He takes him back to, I mean, not Psalm 35, Isaiah 35. He takes him back to Isaiah 61. And John would have been well familiar. And John would have remembered, wait a minute, there's more. But remember, Isaiah 35. Hey, the Lord will come. He will judge. There will be vengeance. There will be a recompense. The Lord will faithfully fulfill all his promises and prophecies. So where does that leave John? He has to figure out something that at this point, none of the other disciples are getting. And that is that Jesus was going to do some of these things first time around. He was going to do the rest of them the second time around. Now, there are a lot of people still struggling with that idea or stumbling over that idea. And note what Jesus says in verse 9. It's actually a beatitude. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. He's saying, 
if you don't stumble over this, if you don't let it trip you up, you're going to experience a great blessing. You rest in the situation God has you in. Even if you messed up and got yourself in a bad situation, you got to know this. All things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. That's his promise. So even if you are messing up and then you're trying to get it right and you're saying, man, a lot of consequences, a lot of bad circumstances. Well, that may happen. But in the midst of it, God's still for you, not against you. And you can rejoice in that. But some of you will find yourself in difficult times and serious situations in the midst of doing everything that God's told you to do. And, and you'll begin to doubt and you'll begin to question and the enemy will begin to accuse. And you've got to know, hey, here's the solution. Look at what Jesus is doing because he's still at work. Going back just a little bit in Matthew to chapter 10, verse 39, we hear Jesus say something that no doubt would have helped strengthen John the Baptist in his resolve. Jesus says, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. While nearly 6,000 Christians were martyred in 2022, it's not a fate most of us will face. However, when we choose to be a faithful witness to Christ, we will lose many things. And Jesus is simply saying the life we gain is so much greater than that which we lose. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.